0: Hi everybody, thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I am a yoga teacher with many years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is to show you how to get confident, speak clearly, feel authentic, grow your impact, earn your worth, and build a community. For years I've been working with teachers in my signature program, the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program, and I've seen so many teachers transform and I can help you get there too. On the podcast, you'll hear anatomy lessons, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. In addition to the podcast, don't forget to also follow me on Instagram and TikTok, for daily videos on teaching topics. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Conversations for yoga teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 216. So I am recording this on December 1st. Oh my goodness. Can you even believe it? On December 1st. And what this episode is going to be is an interview. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about today's guest in just a moment. I recorded this interview on the 28th of November. So today is Thursday. I recorded it a couple of days ago on Monday. And this episode that you're listening to is going live on Monday, December. 4th. 5th, 2023. So we are 2022. So we are headed towards the end of the year. Before I tell you about our guest, I want to just briefly tell you a really cool story about a realization a teacher had. And I'm telling you this story because I wonder as you listen to this, if anything about this story resonates with you. So I had a teacher enroll in my program within the past week or so. And she had a not so great experience in her first yoga teacher training, her first 200 hour teacher training that she recently graduated from. The overall experience was not great. And especially the anatomy portion was not great. So she was left feeling somewhat burned and definitely did not feel confident. What she did though was really amazing. She took it upon herself to go out there and search out for friends and offer them free yoga classes. And she did this. And after every class, she was asking those people for feedback. And so as a result, she was getting feedback from a lot of people, but she still wasn't feeling like she was progressing. She was still really nervous. She was doubting her herself, all of which is definitely part of being a new teacher, but definitely is um, an uphill battle for her because her initial training was so poor. So when we had our first training session this week, our first coaching session, because when you enroll in my program, the Blueprint Learning Program, a really important part of what I do with you is we work one-on-one together in coaching calls on Zoom. And in this first coaching call, I asked her, what would be a really great win for you? In the next hour You know that we're meeting together here, what would be a win for you? And she said, Karen, if I could have more confidence as a teacher and I could feel that, uh, that would be a win. And so what I did And I said, okay, well, what area of teaching are you having the most struggle with right now? And she said, absolutely sharing cues. And so what I did, and I'm not going to tell you how I did it because it's part of my secret sauce, um, but what I did with her over the next 60 minutes, not four hours, not three weeks, not two days, hour, is I shared with her one of my strategies Especially for new teachers, but not just for new teachers, around how to share effective cues. And I helped her also see how she could leverage skills she already had to share better cues, especially her role as a mom. And so at the end of this session, she taught me a series of Sun A and Sun Bs, and I Felt like I was in the presence of an experienced teacher. She was calm. She was grounded. She sounded like herself. She didn't sound like she was pretending to be like anybody else. And when we were done, her eyes lit up. And I kid you not, I swear to God, she said, Karen, I can't believe how easy this feels. And so if you're listening to this and this resonates with you, Do not wait to get in touch with me and set up a 60-minute session so I can show you how you can leverage skills you already have, how you can increase your confidence, and how you can share effective cues right away, not only to help you feel more powerful and effective as a teacher and confident, but so you can better help your students. Because if you're nervous when you're teaching, if you lack confidence, if you're having trouble finding your cues. It's not helping them, it's making it harder for them. So this isn't just about you. And I want you to keep that in mind because if you're out there and you know you need help and you're not getting it, you're making it harder for your students to practice, to learn, to grow. So you not only owe it to yourself, you owe it to the people you are trying to help to improve as a teacher. And that sometimes means investing in your growth, which means spending money and not being on the endless free content wheel of trying to figure it out for yourself. Now, of course, this session I'm offering you is no strings attached, 100% free. And all you need to do to set it up with me is send me a DM on Instagram and let me know you want to do it. Or send me an email, Karen at barebonesyoga.com. All right, so that is it for that. Today, in today's episode, I am so excited to share with you this conversation I had earlier this week with Dr. Trish Corley. Dr. Corley is a licensed physical therapist and an internationally recognized yoga and anatomy teacher. And she and I have a very detailed conversation about not just the importance of understanding the key aspects of anatomy for yoga teaching. We also get into several different themes and trends and things yoga teachers say, things that are ingrained in the industry that don't make good anatomical sense. And It really for me was like speaking to a kindred spirit because she and I both have this love and this passion for anatomy. She is, of course, a physical therapist. Additionally, I started out thinking I wanted to be a physical therapist and went to PT school here at Boston University for the first three years of my undergrad education. I ended up graduating with a degree in rehab counseling and ended up working as a rehab counselor in the clinical setting with physical therapist and occupational therapist. So I have this this connection with her, not only in that academic training and background, but just in the fact that we share this passion for anatomy and making it easy to understand. And this is what Trish Dells does so well. So I'm going to um, go up into this episode now, into this interview now, and you can listen at the end for information that Trish shares about how you can stay connected to her, how you can follow her on Instagram, and how you can find out more about the programs she offers. So with that, let's go to that interview with Dr. Trish Corley. Hello. Hi, Trish. Can you hear me? Yeah, take a moment, get yourself, uh, it sounds like you can hear me, but I can't hear you. You can't hear me. Okay, one second. Let's see. Let's see how we can do this here. Uh, Huh, that's funny. Uh, why don't you take a look on your end and just see? I, I got it now. <laughs> Hi. How are you of night, Karen. <laughs> Very good. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. <laughs> I love these, uh, these opportunities when I have never actually met a person in real life and I'm chatting with them on Zoom, having connected with them in a variety of ways. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and I'm super excited to, to learn more about you. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited too. Of course. You know, I think sometimes too, I always share that little blurb because sometimes when people are listening, they might wonder, well, how do these two know each other? <laughs> so, and sometimes I do have people on who, you know, I might know from some different situation, maybe we were yoga teachers together or whatever the situation is. So yeah, so this is really our first opportunity to meet and talk. And I love those sort of things because it's kind of like if I were to meet you at like a cocktail party or at Starbucks and we just happen to strike up conversation. So it'll really just kind of be like that, a chance for you to share, you know, not just with me, but to the listeners a little bit about you and what you do and what you love about what you do. So I'm just going to kind of start off the conversation with a couple of just easy questions. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. (laughs) Okay, great. So why don't you start out? I'd love to know a little bit more about, I mean, I know, of course, we share yoga teaching in our backgrounds and I'm not going to go into it too much because I want you to share the anatomy piece. I would love to know a little bit about how you got into teaching and especially the anatomy piece
1: yeah so I so I'm a physical therapist before you know I think I may have taken a few yoga classes here and there and I always joke that I was training for marathons and doing the hardcore exercise thing that my other PT student colleagues were doing and I um I, I went to yoga classes at Boston sports club, actually, when I didn't really feel like going to the gym. <laughs> um, I should, and let me back up my background. I was, I was a gymnast. I was a competitive gymnast. So when I first approached yoga, it was kind of easy and boring. Cause I didn't really know what I was doing. I just was like, Oh, like stand in warrior with your arms out. That's easy. And, um, so that was like my first, I wasn't really into yoga. And then, um, while I was in PT school, actually, I, I started training for a marathon and ran it successfully and then had a lot of aches and pains for months, signed up for another one and thought I got to do a little bit more than that, like two minute stretch before and after a 15 mile run. <laughs> so I committed to like one yoga class a week as part of my training. And then I ran another marathon and I was only muscle sore for a couple of days and I like most yoga students realize like you get a lot more out of going to yoga class than just stretching. Um, and so I kind of, I guess bought into, I don't, I don't know. I don't Mm. like saying buy buy into it, but I was, I got the benefits like the spiritual benefits, the mental benefits, um, plus the physical benefits. And, um, so that just got me more and more. Like I started doing yoga more, more regularly. And, um, then in my physical therapy career, I sort of had a, a I was working in Houston at Texas Children's Hospital and I loved it there. I wasn't looking for a new job, but I was looking to change something up a little bit. Like as PTs, we always have opportunities to you know, try out a new certification or like go to a different department or something. So I kind of had that in my horizon when um, the director of the physical therapist assistant program at San Jacinto College um, opened up and an email landed in my inbox. And long story short, I took that job. Um, so I was then told you're teaching functional anatomy, which um, I I really wasn't thrilled about because I struggled with anatomy in PT school. And but I figured it out, and and I'm so grateful for that because I really looked at it like every student is going to be challenged with this experience. So how can I? step up and make my teaching accessible and actually teach them to learn it and use it rather than just memorize some um, spreadsheets and, and the way I approached it that didn't really work so well. Um, so that that's kind of where I got to teaching the anatomy. Um, and then that first year as a professor, I had spring break in the studio I was practicing at regularly. Um, it was Yoga One in Houston. And they offered a teacher training that was like a 10-day immersion plus several weekends. And that 10 days was during my spring break as a professor. So I did it kind of just like, that'll be fun to do. My husband and I had already gone on a big trip, so he didn't want to travel. So um, I did it. And like many of um, you that are teachers and and listen to this, you'll probably identify. I did the yoga teacher training because I just wanted to learn more. But then all of a sudden, I wanted to teach it. Um, so I got teaching it and I, I, it was a great yoga teacher training and the anatomy part of it was not great. (laughs) It was, I hate to say it, but pretty terrible. Um, and I'd been looking
0: forward to to it it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, so excited for that day just to, um, you know, I, I, think what I had expected was for me to maybe know the anatomy, given I was teaching it at a college level, but, um, to like learn new ways about thinking about anatomy or how to approach anatomy in the yoga teachings and yoga practice. And I unfortunately didn't get that, or let me rephrase that. I fortunately didn't get that because it really inspired me. I was like, I've got something here um, to give. And so actually a year later, I taught the anatomy at that studio's yoga teacher training. And um, really from there, started developing different ways of teaching yoga anatomy and from that studio to other studios and um, so forth. So it very organically happened. Um, and now I, and I just love it though. I always say like, even though I hated anatomy in PT school, cause it was so stressful. I actually do love anatomy and like the human body and learning about it. And so I get totally lit up teaching yoga anatomy and inspiring people to like, learn how to apply it and how to use it and not just memorize, you know, the origin of the biceps and the insertion of it and it's nerve innervation, cause that's useless unless you really know like how to use yeah. it or what it means. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I can totally relate cause I was in the Boston university PT program for the first three years I was in school. So I can relate to the stress of learning anatomy in that context. Um, I'm curious, to know more about when you were just sharing about your experience as a student in that training and whoever was coming on board to teach the anatomy part. And it, and it, if I remember correctly, you said something like you were, you were hoping for more than just learning about the muscles and that kind of thing. You were looking for um, like how to apply it. Tell me a little bit more about that. Cause I bet that's a lot of what you share when you teach And so I'm curious, and especially for people listening who had a similar, not so great experience in their (laughs) teacher training, when it came to the anatomy part and sort of look at it in this very linear way, there are these muscles, I need to learn them. Each muscle has an origin and insertion. I need to memorize that. So what's the different way to approach that?
1: So. One thing I teach now at the start of, if I'm, you know, whether depending on what program I'm doing, but at the start of it, I really want people to understand just how muscles work, and I think that that's often lacking. We tend to think of, you know, muscles tighten up to move, which they do, but um, getting people to really understand that muscles have a variety of ways of working, and I try to keep it, you know, very simple. Um, but really teaching people that yes, muscles have an origin and an insertion, and you don't need to memorize them, but you can look at a picture of a muscle and see that there's two places, a place that it's, and one end of it, sorry, my earphone just fell out. (laughs) Um, at one place of it, it starts at one place and ends at another. And even if you don't know where it starts or where it ends, um, just learning to understand that muscles are like pulley systems, and they're again, they're not just like pulley systems, but I try to simplify it and just teach people. Like if the muscles in the your bicep, say for example, it's up by your shoulder and down below your elbow, and if you look at the lines that the muscle fibers create, it if that muscle shortens, it's going to act like a pulley and just make your elbow bend or make your arm raise up, and. Also, knowing that you that goes in the reverse way and that we use an eccentric contraction to control those. And so, a lot of times, what I do is, um, you know, spend a lot of time uh, teaching people that using like a red TheraBand on the skeleton to yeah. give them, you know, a visualization of how it works. And then we go through the key muscles. And I tell people if you come, especially if I'm doing a weekend immersion for a 200 hour teacher training. I don't want you to learn every single muscle. That's just ridiculous. But to um, get the key muscles, and then look at pictures of them and really s- study them. Like look at it and imagine what it could possibly do. And then we do that on the skeleton, and then we do it in the physical bodies um, in yoga. Po- and like maybe with a simple thing like bending your elbow, but then we move it forward into okay, like what yoga postures do you bend your elbow in, and how is the bicep working in that example? Um, Got it. yeah, and that's kind of my approach. And it makes me think when I was teaching at, um, the college the first year and thinking like, what are ways I can get people to really look at the uh, to really understand this. One of the first things I did, um, and I, I, just giving me an idea, I don't do this in the anatomy courses, uh, yoga courses, but maybe I should, um, I had everybody go to the window and just look out the window and tell me what they saw. And of course, at first, you know, they saw a building or the yard or, you know, and I said, well, keep looking. What else do you see? Keep looking. And almost like an art piece that the more you keep looking, you actually see stuff as opposed to, let me tell you, there's a building to the left and a yard to the right and a car down there that's blue. Like, let me have you spend time looking and appreciating and discovering for yourself what you see. And so I also add that just that generalized concept in like having the students in the yoga anatomy courses look at you know identify where the biceps is and I'll help them find that and say that's the bicep but then get in different yoga poses and look at that bicep choose you know yoga poses I mean by the time I'm in there teaching people they can identify at least 20 different yoga poses and I have them get into different yoga poses and like see for themselves what's happening so I think that's another way of um approach that I use that I find really helpful so that people aren't trying to memorize what I'm teaching them, but rather discover it for themselves. And then it becomes theirs to, to practice on themselves and to teach other students.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's really what you're describing. Look at a person in a pose and identify the muscles that are in action, meaning contracting, not even maybe eccentrically lengthening. That's such a real life practical way as a teacher to not only learn the anatomy, but in addition to be able to look at a student on the mat and have a sense of not only what's happening, but if something's not happening in terms of an alignment thing that you want to be happening, what might possibly be the problem? Mm -hmm. And so that sort of leads me to my next question. Um, what's your thoughts on the relationship between understanding anatomy and I love how you focus on like the key, um, muscles, not all muscles. And the other thing you've said was, you know, how muscles work, not down to the nitty gritty level of like ATP and mitochondria, but like at the global kind of higher level of types of contraction. So I'm totally in the same zone as you in terms of that what do you think though about the relationship between the cues a teacher shares and what they understand about movement meaning anatomy how how if it's a teacher wanting to cue Better. (laughs) What do they need to know more about? How do they identify that? And maybe just in general, is there a relationship there between those two things? I'm
1: not sure. I I think think I'm I think I'm tracking where you're going um, or what you're asking.
0: Because it really, let me just add a little bit more. It's really in my mind a matter of I can say a bunch of things. And not have an understanding of just the fundamentals. Or I can say a bunch of things when I'm teaching and have an understanding of the fundamentals. And so there's a relationship in my mind between those two things. The more I understand about movement, the better I can share cues. So that's the relationship I'm curious about how you, what you think about that.
1: Yeah. Well, so from my yoga teacher trainings, um, you know, I've certainly had different some different methodologies um and the the true north alignment practices from Baptiste yoga. A lot of my trainings are from the Baptiste Institute, so that's and even my trainings before that were um inspired by those and so I think having a set of alignment cues um and which I've I've now adopt adapted the true north alignment into what i've created as optimal postural alignment um it's a lot of the similarity there um however just from my experience of working with thousands of yoga students and teacher i mean um physical therapy patients um finding ways that maybe have worked for me to better create to create a better or more simpler message um i so it's what i've created I've adapted from what I've learned over my experiences, but I do think it's really powerful to have a set of cues that one could memorize, but then to really be able to understand the why. And I think I approach it that way as a physical therapist, you know, I spent three years studying um, anatomy and movement and working under mentors of other therapists. And I also can tell you, I've been a PT for Um, 20 years now. And it probably took five or 10 of those for me to like really be confident in looking at human movement and really analyzing it and understanding it. And I'm still learning. So for, for those reasons, it's not realistic for me to impart those skills into a yoga teacher who's doing a 200 hour training or even a 300 hour training, or even a mentorship, because it's just beyond the capacity. So I go back to having like a set of of cues that they can memorize and then playing with the discovery of the why. So almost like reverse, like I feel like as a, in my doctorate PT program, like we learned the theory and the understanding for a year and a half before we got to go see patients. Um, Whereas I approach it differently with teaching yoga students that here's this, learn this, practice this, and all along ask why. And I do, I will say, I find that the challenge um, to get student, uh, yoga students, I'm sorry, yoga teachers to get confident in asking why. Um, and again, I think it's just the level of, of a training to 500 hours is not as in-depth as a doctorate level program. Um, and as I, when I was a professor in a physical therapist assistant program, that was it. Like people would, every time they, they teased me, why do you always ask why? Why do you always ask why? Well, because the why is why you'll be able to keep making better and better decisions in the future. And so I do feel like it's really important to get teachers asking the why, but I like to give them something simple to, I'll say, memorize so that they have something to start with, you know, and I think, um, most yoga teacher trainings do, um, most yoga teacher trainings do tend to teach people what cues to say. And I think there's a lot of value in that. I think it can fail us though, if we say, well, just say this because I said this, or this is what the teachers say before. And I think, you know, I've seen a lot of that just out in social media and in conversations with teachers of the you know, one of my favorite is don't put your knee your foot on your knee. Well, well, why? <laughs> like just why? Who says that? You know, and i I can go into that too. But um, you know, it and then sometimes people are like, well, I never thought of why, you know. So so I guess in summary, like I do have the optimal posture alignment cues that I teach. Like here they are, I can put them on one piece of paper. So you have a skill set and a tool to to fall into, but it's not enough to just Memorize it. You gotta start asking the questions and discovering the why if you really want to become, you know, the most effective yoga teacher that you can be.
0: Yeah, and I think for people listening to this that have um, been listening to my show for a while, they're going to be amazed because a lot of what you're saying are super similar messages that I say. I very consistently talk about the why behind the cue, and in fact, I've used that example in tree pose. As a good example of a situation where teachers are taught a particular cue with that kind of tagline warning, you know, put your foot on the side of your leg, oh, but not on your knee. You could damage your knee. And it's sort of like the telephone game. It just like proliferated for years and years and years as a warning in the teaching of that pose, with very little questioning as to. Why are we warning people about that? What do we really think is going to happen? Is a human being even capable of putting so much pressure on the side of their knee in the five seconds they're standing in that pose, maybe even seven days a week for five seconds? Like how much force do we think is good? But again, as you said, and as you went into so wonderfully, there's, I don't know if it's the relationship between a student teacher and a mentor teacher that they sort of abdicate. Well, that person must know what they're talking about. So if they say that's a warning I should give for tree pose, I should give that warning. And like you, I'm always encouraging teachers to ask the why, because just like you said, when you understand the why, You're building the knowledge about whatever that cue is, so that when you share it, maybe even in your own words, it can be shared with much more conviction because it's coming from a place of what you know rather than just what you've been told to say, which Mm is always, in general, a very disempowering way to teach. Although I agree with you, everybody starts out with a set of cues to lean into, and that's the only way you can start. Um, I think what um what I'm hearing you say, maybe in not so many words, I'm just sort of paraphrasing, is that it's, and I, I'm sure you're going to agree with this, although I've sometimes run into teachers who question like, well, how how much do I really need to understand anatomy anyway? <laughs> and I can remember a teacher that I was doing a training for, and in fact, she had hired me to teach anatomy for her 200-hour teachers. And in a sidebar conversation, she said, "Well, I never really focus on anatomy anyway when I teach, so I don't really feel like I need to use it or learn it more. But I just offer it because it's part of the 200-hour training agenda." So I know that's sort of a sort of a on one end of the spectrum perspective. But I'm curious if you could share a little bit more about. Like, how is understanding anatomy so central to teaching yoga? I mean, of course, there's the eight limbs, and there's different kinds of lenses we can view yoga through. We can view it through a lens of its functional movement, we can view it through the lens of the style of yoga, or maybe who we are and what we choose to focus on. Maybe I'm very much into Eastern medicine, so I'm going to focus on energetics or chakras. Is there some commonality that exists that basically says we're all essentially teaching movement so there needs to be some understanding there so I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that
1: yeah and i've kind of gone around in circles on that you know i i always joke that when i first started oh even practice seriously practicing yoga i'll say not those days back when i went cuz i didn't want to work out but um when i really got around like yoga teachers and um, started teaching yoga, there was a lot of people that I, I met that were really into the energetics, the chakras. And I here I was this like Western trained physical therapist, Dr. PT, like research, evidence-based, like all those words. And I was like, get get away from me if you're going to tell me I got great energy. Like yoga teacher friends be like, you have such great energy, Trish. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's weird. Um, <laughs> thanks. And then the more I got teaching, I started really realizing like those energetics were actually um like my nervous system is all energy (laughs) like just electrons and protons and chemicals and it's it's kind of all the, the same and then i keep leaning into that and then suddenly i see around me that it's everything's physically connected um and so then i started taking this new approach like well your body is the physical practice like whether you're sitting and meditating or you are um you know, practicing the different limbs of yoga or the, you know, the, um, any of it, like it's my body that I live in. So even if I'm doing philosophy or history, it's my brain that's learning it or my body that's feeling and connecting. And, and, um, I'm actually reading, um, uh, the body keeps the score right now and um, was discussing it with my husband and my sister-in-law over the holiday, who she's, she's read it and has a master's in, I don't know what the topic is, but something about um, trauma and neuroscience. And so my husband's question was like, so is the book about like the brain or the body? And I was like, I was so quick. I was like, you can't, you you can't, you can't disconnect them. Um, It's all one. And so Coming back to your question about like the you know the anatomy being the essence, um, or I just said it it is <laughs> the anatomy being the essence of particularly the physical practice. I mean you can't you can't do yoga asana without your anatomy. I don't think you can meditate without your anatomy. I don't think you can study philosophy without your anatomy. So it becomes also necessary. Um, and then I think you know the level to which one needs to understand it. I think it's like. The poses, if I'm going to teach you what warrior two is, I got to know that like one foot's forward, one foot's back and arms are out to the side. And there's a couple options where I look, Uh, you know, that's the basic. And then I can advance into my skills and sort of discover where should my shoulder blades be aligned? Where should my pelvis be aligned? And so I think then we just keep learning more and more. And then that empowers me in my own practice Um, and and teachers to be able to really give those fine cues that people then get connected to their bodies you know that's that's my experience of a really skilled teacher is able to look at me who I've been doing this gymnastics dance yoga physical therapy for my whole life pretty much and when a teacher can look at my pelvis and say lift the front of your pelvis up towards your ribs a little bit more I'm like oh and then I'm just like present to my body right
0: there and it's so powerful. And I wanna just pause there for a moment because that's such a great example. And I'd love to know a little bit more if you work with that example, um, what quality or what has that teacher done to, because if someone's listening to that example and is saying, yes, yes, that's the kind of yoga teacher I want to be. I want to be able to look at someone on the mat and speak to their body in such a way that the cue resonates with them. And I see the shift in their posture. And I know that they're make that we're making a connection. What? If we reverse engineer, if we go mm-hmm. back in time to what that teacher saying that cue had to do to get there, what are some of those things? Because yeah. this is exactly the difference between reading from the script and seeing a scenario that you could have never planned to see. And there it is in front of you, this opportunity, the students out of alignment, quote unquote, And you now have to go into your repertoire to think, what can I say to help this person? I'm seeing it. I know this person is out of alignment. I want to help them. And I'm going through the Rolodex in my brain of all this stuff they told me to say, you know, like, that's what I'm trying to, to, I I would love to know more about, because this really gets to how you prepare teachers for those scenarios. So what, elements are part of that. If someone's listening and they're like, "I want to be that kind of teacher. What is what qualities does that kind of teacher have?"
1: Yeah, I think that that it it takes a variety of things and certainly different learners learn different ways and so when I'm teaching a, an anatomy component uh, or an anatomy yoga training, it's um I like to just start with like pictures, the skeleton, um videos, 3D. Now we have all these amazing tools of like 3D videos and, you know, YouTube will just show you everything you want to. And um, in terms of like the visualization, but taking, you know, so I'm collecting as the, as the trainer, I'm collecting different visual and um, physical things to look at. And then, so we start there, but then it ultimately, like we're saying, it has to get to the teacher um, looking at an actual body. And so, and no, you know, I think one of the big challenges is that um, we're, the majority of people that we're going to teach have two legs and two arms and a spine and a head and two hands and two feet. And that's actually not all of our students, but um, if we just go with the majority that do have all the, the parts of the human body, they don't all look the same. And so I think it takes a lot of um, just practice at looking at di- different bodies. Um, so what I was saying before, like we look at it in the, you know, the models, the pictures, understanding how things work, but then just looking at body over body over body again and again. Um, and so getting different students on the mat. And if you're a teacher listening to this, like, and you're kind of like, where do I start? I would say, you know, Grab your friends, your yoga friends, your yoga teacher, friends, your family, and your loved ones that are willing to be your guinea pig and just get them, tell them to get in a pose and then really look and, um, and start, let me say this too: start with just one thing. Like I, I always recommend start either the feet or the pelvis, the feet, cause it's our foundation, but the pelvis, cause I think it makes the biggest difference in every posture, but just practice looking like what's the position of the pelvis. So our pelvis can tilt forward. It can tilt back. And ideally it's in the center and finding what, you know, and most, most yoga teachers can get that theory pretty quickly, but then looking at a pelvis, it's like, I don't know if it's forward or back or they're neutral. And some people's butts bigger, some people's belly's bigger. Some people don't have a butt. That, like it's, it gets kind of confusing. So you just gotta kind of like really um, look. And one thing I'll tell people is most, most people, when they look at a body, the first thing is, I don't know. And so you've just got to get past that. I don't know. And look, because you will know, you will know it's just going to, you know, I remember being a PT student and being like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And then the teacher would be like, well, look, and like, I'd look and I'd be like, oh yeah, I can see it. So, so I think um, what I'm getting at is like the practice of just studying the basics and then repetitive practice at looking at different bodies and really trusting yourself. Trusting your intuition to be able to look at a body to see what's happening, and then to give a simple cue, and then be confident in giving the cue that it might fail. I've been teaching yoga for where are we now? Thirteen years, and I still say stuff. I'm like, nope, that didn't work. But it's um, being able to just make the mistakes and practice and practice and practice, and that's you know where. I think what you do, Karen, I have not the ability to like be in one of your trainings, um, but what you do and what I do is to um, go give people those opportunities to, to be in a safe space to just mess up. And that's how you're going to learn.
0: Right. Right. So another, um, another thing that I hear a lot from teachers is I'm afraid people are going to get hurt in my classes. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know what, you think about that, like when a teacher comes to you and says that what kinds of things come up for you as a response or how you counsel that teacher? It's just such a common, I don't, you know, I kind of feel like it sort of seeped into the vernacular of yoga teachers after I had started teaching back in 2002, 2003, when quite honestly, I don't feel like as teachers, we were really worried at the levels, teachers are worried now. I hear this consistently. I'm worried people are going to get hurt in my classes. Um, I'm worried if they're out of alignment, it's going to create an injury. And so I'm wondering, especially because you not only see people on the yoga mat, you see them on the plinth in physical therapy. And sometimes they might come in as a patient and say, I think I hurt myself in yoga. So you have some evidentiary proof maybe not proof, but suggestive evidence that could potentially create a causal link, maybe, Um, although it's not a scientific process where the only thing they did was go to that yoga class and then the injury occurred. There's all these other variables. They were walking and sleeping and maybe going to the gym and everything else. I think though, at the heart of it is this thread of like anxiety and nervousness that teachers have directly linked to this narrative that now seems to be out there that is somehow resulting in a lot of teachers saying, to me at least, I'm afraid people are gonna get hurt in their classes. And sometimes almost that becomes the motivation to learning more about anatomy. And I I don't want teachers to try to learn, I don't want teachers to learn anatomy out of a fear-based motivation I would much rather them learn it from the perspective as it's going to help me be a better teacher, a more confident teacher, a more empowered teacher around sharing my cues. So what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, you know, this kind of goes back to like the brain, the body, it's all connected and how it's all yoga um, because one of the first things that topic comes up all the time, um, when I'm teaching the yoga teacher trainings or the anatomy components of it. And yeah, I started with, I would say more yoga philosophy. I would put this in the category of philosophy, um, according to the yoga alliances (laughs) agenda anyway, um, of, well, like, what is it that has, you as the teacher feeling, um, responsible for someone. And yes, of course we, I mean, let me preface, like you want to create a safe space. And if there's like water on the floor, you know, you're not going to like set up a bad environment you um, Just
0: stand in front of the window. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? So I think, I think we, that's obvious hopefully, but, um, I think that having that conversation with teachers to like get to the root of what is it that, why is it that they're feeling responsible, for people, because sometimes that just goes down the whole, you know, route of self-inquiry and discovery of like, you know, what is there to let go? What are you attached to? Um, which again, like this is where it's like, we can't just separate the anatomy. Um, and so we'll have that conversation. And often a lot of people discover that they don't need to be as responsible for others as they're allowing themselves to feel. Um, so, that's a big part of it. Um, but then there is, like we said, the reality of like, how can we, how can we keep people safe? And, um, well, let me say the other thing that I think of my first yoga teacher training with, um, Roger and Albina Rippey, Roger, um, is an attorney and I ended up, that's the first studio I taught at. And I can distinctly remember him saying like, don't ask people if they have, this is just his like business litigious mind at work His his business, but he was like, don't ask people if they have injuries at the start of the class for that raises our liability. But then also like, what are you gonna do with that? If you're teaching teaching 10, 20, I mean, that studio is huge. Sometimes I taught 80 students in a class there. Like, first of all, it's only an hour class what if 40 people raise their hand that's there's our hour gone (laughs) nobody got any yoga in um but yeah like even if it's just one person that raises their hand what am I going to do with that there's there's really nothing I can do with that in a group setting obviously in a private setting you have that opportunity to maybe discuss and you know go a little deeper but um so that's another thing like a lot of times people and I always bring up Roger in that story and people are kind of like relieved to know like oh I don't have to actually take care of every injury in the room. and yeah. then I think, you know, the the final piece is just like being confident and giving clear cues um, so that people can be in, in actually listening to what you say and not feeling lost or out of touch. Because I think obviously there's repetitive injury, uh, repetitive use injuries that can occur in yoga. And those are a real thing. Um, but for instant injury if people are present and really listening to you and their body, the risk of injury is extremely low. Um, it just is like, it's the whole point of yoga asana in my opinion is to get present to my physical body, to feel it, to listen to it, to identify what's working, what's not, and just be with it as it is and not force into something that would cause injury. And so that's a big part too, is I want to teach people how to teach that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love that you mentioned the part about clear cues because, you know, juxtaposed with that scenario of opening up your class by saying, does anyone have any injuries? Which again, I feel like back many, many years ago, like when I started teaching and well, when I started practicing in 1999, I would go to class and it was fairly common to get that as a show opener, like who has an an injury and there were (laughs) people. raise their hands. And there were these little conversations that would happen. And I I feel like that doesn't happen as much anymore, unless the class is really small. And it's like a small community studio where there's like, real knowledge between the teacher and the students. Um, But I love that focus that you said uh, about cues, because isn't that sort of the thing that teachers can control to decrease Mm -hmm. risk. I can control what I'm saying, the words I'm using, which essentially are the cues I'm sharing. And I can do it in a way that, as you said, increases presence in my students, which as you said, decreases risk because they're just more aware Mm -hmm. and therefore risk goes down because they might not, do something in in an abrupt way or push themselves past a functional position to something that's beyond what their joints or muscles could handle. Um, And I also add to that list, not only creating, not only sharing really good solid cues to increase presence, also looking at your sequence and what you're asking Mm -hmm. people to do. So if I'm asking people to do tree, fine. If I'm asking them to do some sort of lotus variation that requires a lot of external rotation in the hip, that might not be as fine because maybe a lot of people can't do that. And yet they can still get tremendous benefit from just doing tree. Mm -hmm. So I sort of add the sequence what's in your sequence to that. Um, So I guess my thought is, and my question now to you is, if we take this a step further, so I can go in as a teacher, you know, let's say I'm worried about people getting hurt. So now I'm hearing you both say, okay, so control what you can control. Control sharing better cues, get more skilled in creating clear cues and sharing them. And also really look at my sequence, make sure I'm not kind of in that, outer edge of asking people to do postures that might require a tremendous amount of mobility that aren't in that zone of like high degree of accessibility, Um, does that sort of cover it? Uh, And do I then just sort of need to be comfortable with the idea that people still might get hurt? you know, which sort of relates back to what I was saying before about the patient you see in your PT practice might indeed be able to link to their yoga practice, but is that, and I don't want to get into the liability aspect of it, but is that really the fault of the teacher? I mean, how do I know that person didn't have a hamstring tendonitis brewing from something else, training for a marathon, for instance, and they came to yoga, my class did down dog, and that sort of was the, you know, the thing that pushed it to a scenario where they needed medical treatment. So anything on that, that you can share, especially because you see people on both sides there. Yeah. I, I think you're, you know, what you're saying
1: is, is spot on about like that something could be brewing already. And the timing is the timing. Um, and even like something, um, like a rotator cuff injury is very common, um, not, not, I'm not going to say very common in yoga, just very common out there. Like they ha- happen all the time. I see people for that very frequently. And often I hear like, oh, I reached up to the cabinet or I, you know, like there, it's a simple action that they recall. Um, and they think it was that. And I'm like, no, it wasn't that. Like I can tell by, you know, your, your biomechanics and how you function that this is a long time coming. Uh, and I think it's important for Yoga teachers to really realize that. like people are out there in the world. Um, your one or one and a half hour class, whether they do it once or five times a week with you, is very important and very valuable and really only a small percentage of that person's life. Right. and and it goes back to what I was saying of like check in with where where is this sense of responsibility for that person coming from? because um, you're not totally responsible. And what can, on the flip side, like what can you do and what or what can you say, and perhaps at the start of your class, to really empower people to feel responsible for themselves, you know? And I think the the general message that I tend to deliver is like you you really are in charge of what's happening on your mat. And if you don't feel right saying what I'm saying, if you need to do a different pose, if if you need to rest more. If you need to go get a water break, like you really get letting people um, not just feel like they have permission to, but to actually feel empowered to take on their own um, sense of self-discovery and and own sense of um, securing their body as needed. I think that's really important. And it can be challenging because then I also, um, what I love in a yoga teacher and what I deliver in my yoga classes is taking people or empowering people to go somewhere where they might not go on their own. Cause otherwise, why not just roll your mat out? Um, you know, at home, like I, I know, I know how to do yoga, but I still love to go to a yoga class. And so, it, you know, there is a fine line there. Um, but I think a lot of it too comes back to just trusting your intuition and, and really being with the people that are in your room, um, or your studio and looking at them. Um, and you can, I think there's so much that we can learn that we can't express in words, but that if you just really look at students and kind of look and say, are they, are they suffering? <laughs> like, if so, what, then, then you don't even have to give them a different cue. You could just direct them to a different pose or a different version of the pose or a adaptation of the pose. Um, so Yeah. So I think going, you know, to summarize in that, that question is, is turn it on the, on your students. What a gift to give them the ability to be responsible for themselves Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps show them that they're responsible for themselves, not, not others. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah. I, I, I really am glad that we had this part of the conversation because I think this is another sort of outdated paradigm that's, in the industry that people are going to get hurt, that I need to ask the question beforehand to decrease the chance that they're going to get hurt. But just like you said, how are you really going to do that by simply asking who has an injury, getting feedback? Well, let's follow it further. What are you going to do then? The person's going to give you feedback, oh, I'm here and I have a torn rotator cuff. Okay, so what muscle? There's four in the rotator cuff. Where Mm do you, like, there's no possible way. And that's why I say it's a paradigm because it's done over and over again without teachers typically questioning, why am I asking this question? What result do I hope to get? What am I trying to prevent? And is asking this question going to allow me to prevent in this case, an injury? Probably not. So why am I asking this question? But yet it's something that at some point years ago, people were trained to ask this question and it comes from a good place. So I don't want to say it's not coming from a good place. And I also love that you brought up, and I just want to highlight this, this whole idea of sort of professional scope of practice as a teacher what we're responsible for and what we're not. No one is coming to our class because we force them to. They're there of their own will. They sign a liability form to come to our class. And there is sort of an equal responsibility there. We have to be responsible for good cues, clear cues, a good sequence, keeping an eye on folks. And they have to be responsible for doing what they feel in that moment is within their capabilities. And if they go beyond that, well, that's not on me. (laughs) That's on the person. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of pull those threads out, because if there is anyone listening who's still holding on to this fear that people are going to get hurt. And as you say, this sense of responsibility for their students beyond what is a functional, healthy set. I mean, of course, we want to be of service that's baked into being a yoga teacher, but it's not that we take on this level of responsibility that makes us fearful about someone getting hurt, that's beyond. And just like you say, that's something that that person could explore with inquiry questions and journaling and therapy and that kind of thing. Like, well, are you a saver type person in other parts of your life Mm -hmm. trying to save other people instead of something different? So anyway, so let me, this kind of leads me to another curious question I have for you. And I think you're a really great person to talk to about this because of your physical therapy background. So, one of the other sort of things teachers say is this kind of, you know, well, only do as much as you can do. Well, don't push yourself if there's pain. You know, oh, sure, rest if you need to rest. And yes, those things can be helpful things to say. They can come from a, a compassionate place and that sort of thing. What I'm wondering is, are there times, and we can kind of look at this through the lens of kind of the yogic lens, and we can also look at it additionally at the same time through the lens of like just pure physical therapy and anatomy, are there times when, you know, because presumably the reason someone would need to rest or come into child's pose or because there's some sort of pain, there's some sort of body response that is concerning to them, alarming to them, or maybe even preventing them from doing the pose. Let's just say the pose. How does, I don't necessarily say, I don't want to necessarily frame it from the perspective of the student, but if we're always saying that as teachers, if we're kind of always giving that global permission and linking it to bodily sensations, i.e. pain as the trigger, are we getting in the way of a student who might be having, let's just call it pain, discomfort, some kind of feedback, because that particular muscle being used in that pose is weak. And needs to be strengthened or could benefit from some strengthening. So, my question is Are we doing on a global scale a disservice when we're constantly saying this in this kind of permissive based, loving, compassionate way? Is that sort of another thing that teachers are saying where we have an opportunity there to kind of educate our students about what's a red flag kind of pain and what's a okay, this is a sign, like, I'm sure when your patients come to physical therapy, they're not loving what you're doing, but you've got a physician's order and you know what needs to be done and you're pushing them through pain. You're not saying, oh, you know what, just lay here instead. So I don't want to lead you down a certain path, but I think you kind of know where I'm headed, but I really want your expert opinion on this.
1: Yeah. Well, Pain and we've learned more and more about pain. We being just, you know, through research and, um, what we, what I learned about pain 23 years ago in PT school it has evolved tremendously. And there, it is so multifactorial that it's really difficult to identify the source of pain. And in fact, um, you know, when I feel pain in my shoulder, it could be coming from my neck. It could be coming from my elbow. It could be coming from my chest. Like pain can show up anywhere or, um, and what we actually know is that pain is really only processed in our brain, you know? And that's, that can, people are quick to be like, you're telling me it's just in my head. No, it's a real thing and it's processed in your brain. So how I experience a sensation is different than how every listener is going to experience that sensation. And that becomes super challenging because then it's like, I don't know what you're feeling or what I'm feeling. Um, so I have moved into um, both in teaching yoga and in my physical therapy practice, asking people, can you identify the difference between uncomfortable or something that's, that causes discomfort versus pain? It doesn't work for everybody, but for the majority of the people I work with, they can get to a sense of um, like, for example, this morning I was teaching somebody a simple hamstring and and calf stretch for a tight leg. And, um, you know, I looked at her, I said, how does that feel? And she was like, it kind of hurts. But when I looked at her, she, you know, her answer was, it kind of hurts, not, oh, it hurts. She wasn't grimacing. There was no real signs of like red flag for me. And I said, can you describe it more? And she said, well, it's just like it's pulling in the back of my leg. I was like, okay, that's probably, again, I'll never know what she felt because <laughs> I can't, but that's probably what we're aiming for. And I stuck with what I gave her versus other times I give somebody, you know, a stretch or an exercise and I see them like holding their breath and grimacing and they're, and I'm like, okay, now we got to figure something else out. Um, does that hurt? And they're like, yes. <laughs> you know? And so Again, it's it's not black and white and I wish it was because then it would be easy to, to say, but I have found that dis- distinguishing between pain and discomfort are quite valuable. Uh-huh. And our bodies are made to adapt. And most of the things that cause that adaptation are uncomfortable. When I go into wheel, like I took a couple days off of practicing to celebrate the holidays. I definitely had, you know, more, more uh, food and drinks in me than I usually do. And then I got on my mat and I I felt the physical difference. That wheel that I did was really uncomfortable. It didn't feel good, but I was able to identify that nothing was painful. There was no red flag. It was just physical resistance in my body that I, you know, was able to breathe deeply and break through and then feel, then I actually felt better. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think like distinguishing between pain and discomfort can be really valuable Um, and I really hear what you're saying about that like giving so much permission to rest in a practice um, can be disempowering like I often teach teachers um, to check if you're like coddling your students you know like are you just throwing child's pose out there because one
0: student looks tired (laughs) Um, yeah I sort of feel like a lot of those phrases are fillers that teachers will say because there's discomfort with saying nothing Mm. or they're nervous and they just want to say things to try to quell their own nervousness. So they're just the things that teachers say, but there's no real intention behind it, or there's an assumed intention because everybody says it. And Every yoga class I've gone to for the 20 some odd years I've been practicing has always included certain things. It's just Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, part of what teachers say. However, it's like the tree pose cue until someone starts to say, like, why are we saying this? And in this case, what I hear you saying is because there's different levels of pain and it's hard to say everybody's going to experience it in the same way, which we know they're not. Is it part of what we can do then to sort of educate our students around what sorts of things might be a reasonable feedback loop in the body to make one back off versus pushing forward? Like how would we say that? Let's say we were teaching a particular posture where there was like a longer hold. And we knew in offering this pose, there was stretching of certain muscles that was happening, and it might be uncomfortable. Are there certain things we could say, rather than just kind of those blanket terms like, oh, just back off if you feel any pain? Is there some other better way we could say it, knowing that it's a group of people, and we're not working with people one on one where they can give us some feedback, you know, in the moment, what would you suggest?
1: My, my go-to on that situation is guiding people to the breath, to their breath. Um, I, our, our breath is the, the link between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system that we do have control of, um, right in the moment. And if, if, so I'll guide people, um, if I'm holding having them in like that long pose, like you were just describing, where that stretch may be a, a good potential for people to be experiencing. If I guide people to their breath and to listening to their breath and not listening to the auditory sound, I mean, that may be part of it, but um, more listening and, and feeling their breath, can you continue to breathe slowly? at a controlled rate? Or are you feeling a sense of holding your breath or having to breathe rapidly? Like If you can't control your breath, it's probably your nervous system telling you to get out. And your nervous system is going to tell you to get out when it's uncomfortable. But if you can breathe, then your nervous system is going to say, oh, actually, she's right. It's okay. I yeah. can stay. But if you can't breathe, then then back out. And what I encourage is It doesn't need to be all or all or none. So if you're feeling an intense stretch, doesn't mean stop the pose. If you really feel like you can't breathe and you really feel like you need to abort the mission, let's not abort the mission. Let's reduce the intensity of the the mission. And can you stay there?
0: Good point. Okay. Um, All right. So I have one more scenario here. As you're talking, I'm jotting down notes because. You know, I just love to be able to leverage your expertise in both worlds, the PT kind of clinical world and the yoga practitioner, yoga teaching world. Um, What is, what are your thoughts on how teachers can approach? And this sort of gets to when we were talking before about giving students agency and empowering them to kind of take care of themselves on the mat, which sort of promotes this, this scenario where both the teacher and the student are both at cause in this scenario of a class versus I'm teaching and I need to be responsible for everybody here, which lopsides it over to one whole side. What about when students say to teachers, especially in poses towards the ends of class where they're, where it's a little quieter, where students can maybe ask the question by waving a hand and a half pigeon type of thing. And the student says to the teacher, um, what should I be feeling in this pose? You know, sort of that I'm looking to you to tell me what I should be feeling. You know, I've gotten that, especially in half pigeon I've gotten that particular question a lot. What should I be feeling in this pose? And um, it could be even in other postures, maybe where you're holding people longer like frog pose or I don't know, some other yin type posture if you're teaching a slower class, kind of hard when you're teaching more of like a vinyasa flow. But even in those classes towards the end, you have more restorative things. So what are your thoughts on that? Cause it sort of shows that the students engaged in what's happening, and there's a level of curiosity there, so you want to sort of, you know, encourage that, Um, and you don't want to necessarily, I don't think, say, well, you should be feeling this. So, what, how, how would you approach that?
1: I would say, well, what do you feel? <laughs> and that's <laughs> where my students
0: will know, like that's
1: a, like because I'm with you, like telling people what they should feel, like cu- going back to to the one-on-one, like physical therapy or private yoga client, Um, particularly with my physical therapy clients, a lot of times they are not people that exercise regularly, et cetera. And so I might direct them more by saying, do you feel a pull or something in the back of your leg if I'm teaching them a hamstring stretch? Or I'll just say, what do you feel? Like I'll I'll be more directive to like, I'm looking for something. Yeah,
0: but see right right there. And I just want to stop you here because this is like a really important point. Uh, to, to point out, you have to know what is happening in that pose to ask those directed questions, right? So okay. if you don't know in this posture, the knee is in extension, therefore, you know, the hamstrings are lengthening because their concentric action is knee flexion and hip extension. If you don't know that you can't direct that student, Right. Mm -hmm. So this is another one of those areas where what you know about movement guides what you say and empowers you as a teacher. So I just wanted to highlight that because I know it comes so naturally to you because you just know this in both situations. Um, And this is, again, an area where I feel like teachers just sort of lean into stuff that teachers have said to them over the years. So they're just repeating it, but they're not knowing it. yeah. you know, those guided questions to kind of help somebody who's maybe a little physically deconditioned, you can't just pull that crap out of your hat. You got to know what the hell you're talking about to ask those inquiry questions. So anyway, go ahead. I just wanted to point yeah. that out. No, I it's such a valid point because I'm just like light I, bulb,
1: light bulb. Yeah. It, it, what you're saying is so important because when you were first asking the question, like, what would you say to that person who's asking about like what they should be feeling? I think a lot of people, um, a lot of teachers will tell students by default, um, what they feel in the pose and may, they might not say, well, I feel a stretch in my outer hip. They might just say, you should feel a stretch in your outer hip. Well, I personally do feel a stretch in my outer hip in my in a half pigeon pose on my right side I don't feel it on my left side um and and what I feel in the pose I know is different than what other people but I can tell you when I'm in external rotation with 90 degrees of hip flexion the piriformis is being stretched and so therefore I can identify like a stretch is going to happen but if it's a career ballerina there might not feel that stress I mean they may they may have an injury there they may not you know we don't really know and so yeah what you're saying is so important that having that basic understanding of of anatomy is where you get to really ask the better questions um, and have a knowledge and so yeah I might say to that student like well what do you feel and then they might say I feel something pulling here and I'd probably be like yeah that's that's correct Um, or I'm not feeling anything. And I might be, well, like that's, that might be okay too. You might just have enough range of motion for this posture, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I like that um, when you were saying, oh, when you were saying before about when teachers will say, well, I sort of like that, feel this in this pose, like they sort of use their own experience, which sometimes could be helpful. They Mm -hmm. might like, oh, when I do this, you know, half moon, I feel a little bit of a twinge on the outside of my hip, but I know I'm sort of using my lateral hip stabilizers to hold that leg in the air, you know, so whatever they might say. Um, but I hear sometimes from teachers, when I have conversations with them about why they're practicing with their class, you know, this whole kind of, for some teachers, is it's this whole battle. They don't wanna practice with their class but they are practicing with their class and they sort of can envision just speaking the cues and walking around. And especially if they were in a training where they were either encouraged or not discouraged to practice and teach together. Mm -hmm. And what they'll say to me oftentimes is, well, that's where I get my cues. If Mm -hmm. I'm practicing, that's where I'm getting what I'm saying. So I'm curious what you think about that. It sort of speaks to when you're a yoga teacher, you're, of course, also a yoga practitioner. Is there some, I mean, is there like some metamorphosis where you walk into the room and you're like, okay, now I'm a teacher. I'm not a student. Everything I say is coming from my teacher side. (laughs) I mean, I've never really... Thought of this to ask someone, but I'm kind of curious what you think, because of course, if I, just like you said, if I share cues primarily through the lens of my own somatic experience, that's a very different way of teaching. Even if I do it a little bit, then if I'm teaching more in kind of like the seer in meditation, I'm just sort of like looking at the students and speaking from the role of me as a teacher, not me embodying the practice. So I'm kind of curious what you think of that. Yeah, I've never really, I love this question. I've never really thought about this. I mean, I've thought of it a little bit, but I've never thought of it as in detailed as this. And earlier, well, when you mentioned about teachers saying, I oftentimes feel blah, 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 that's in this pose, you know, that sort of got me thinking about, well, well, you know, how, especially if someone's saying in half pigeon, what should I be feeling here? Like you said, you can go over and say, well, I feel la 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 in this pose. Do mm. you feel that? You know, so, you know, is there sort of a role for us where we're kind of separating our own feedback in our bodies?
1: Yeah, I think there is. I I hadn't, I, that's my, my, uh, like first yeah. intuitional answer. um having never really thought about it this way. And, and then, you know, I also, I feel, I feel like I hear a lot of teachers say this, like you can't teach if you don't practice. And I, and I'm, I'm on board with that because, you know, it, it, it's, my practice inspires my teaching for sure, much more so on the philosophical and, and like the messages I want to deliver than, than the physical, I think. Right. You know, and again, like my background, I came from, you know, PT first. And so instructing people how to move their bodies was a skill I developed way before even, you know considered being a yoga teacher.
0: Yeah, Um, and that I would think too, it's kind of like if you have a friend who's a physician and let's say you even see that person, like you can hang out with them at a dinner party, but then when you go into their office as their patient, which probably doesn't happen that often, They're all business. Now they see you as a body, whatever their specialty is. So I sort of feel like in your role, both as a yoga teacher and a physical therapist, you kind of already must have that ability to like see someone in the PT context and you're seeing them, yes, as a person. And you're also seeing them as, you know, well, there's this person with this diagnosis and I'm measuring range of motion and I'm looking at their functional movement and I'm working with them, sort of devoid of. Kind of who they are. It's kind of an objective look at them and also devoid of maybe what I might feel if I had this kind of injury or maybe I've had this kind of injury. So, is there some similarities there with when we go in and teach yoga that we should kind of lean more into almost as a way to, for those teachers listening who are practicing with their class and who are sort of looking at their practice as the well from which they pull their cues? Where else can they go, which sort of brings us back to the beginning of our conversation when we said, well, you really have to understand the fundamentals of movement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I
0: do think it comes back to understanding
1: the fundamentals of the movement and relating it to, you know, my career as a physical therapist, as I mentioned, like I learned how to direct bodies to move before understanding what yoga even was, or that I even loved it. Um, and uh, what I, what's coming up for me in this conversation is I've often heard people say, uh, either tell teachers or teachers for themselves, say, like, I can't teach that pose because I can't do it. And right. I've never bought into that philosophy because right. um, if that means, like... <laughs> I mean, I've I've been doing handstands since I was four years old. So because I did gymnastics when I right. was four and got competitive, and so like my handstand was my best yoga pose. I, I looked, I rocked the handstand better than Warrior One on my first yoga class, and yet you don't need to be able to do the hand like this, the teachers that I've have taught me a lot about handstand. I actually have a could hold the handstand longer, but teachers have still given me tips and cues and alignment, and it's like through that practice. Um, and I also on that topic, you know, I have yoga teacher friends. I have a, a, a friend who uses a wheelchair. He has a, a lower thoracic complete spinal cord injury, which means he cannot use his legs for anything, um, other than to help him transfer. I mean, there's short story. There's ways to use it, but he has no muscle contraction. No, he cannot walk. And he has taught me amazing things in a yoga class. And he he can't do the physical postures the way I do them, so I don't buy into the philosophy that you have to be able to do the pose to teach it. And I think what I'm tying this into is I also have taught, you know, I had um, NCAA athletes like football players in on the table as a PT. Well, I can't do it. I can't throw the ball that way (laughs) that guy throws the ball or catch it or do any of the things that they do. But I can look at the body and ask him to teach, show me how he moves or what he needs to be able to do to be successful in what he wants to create for himself on the field and in his, you know, uh, uh, sports career, and then use my knowledge and apply that. And I I firmly believe yoga teachers have the ability to do that. And it's going to take something. It's not just going to happen. And you don't necessarily need to learn as much detail as maybe a physical therapist, because I do have the ability to look at any movement and analyze it. Whereas yoga teachers can reel it into, you know, start with 25 of the most basic common yoga postures right, and learn those and, you know, move into it, but not just learning the postures, learning the, the why and how the body moves. And then you'll find the next 25 postures are easy to understand. That's how, that's how like learning movement right.
0: works. So Right, and it really goes back. And as we're kind of wrapping up here, it really goes back to what you said at the beginning. You know, I loved when you talked about, you don't need to know every muscle, you need to know certain key muscles and how muscles work and, you know, the fundamentals. And that was what you emphasized in the beginning of this conversation. And now at the end where you're highlighting you know, yeah, you can work with a professional athlete. And even though you can't know what they do to the level of you having done it, you can analyze their movements. And that only comes when you have that foundation that you built to understand those fundamentals. And I really want to nail this point home because I feel like so many times teachers are focused on way down the line what happens when you get to the point where you've built knowledge of those fundamentals in anatomy, you can do things like share really good cues and create really good sequences and be comfortable in a class when there are 50 people and they're all moving in different ways. You can feel comfortable with that variability and not worry that people are gonna get hurt and a whole bunch of other feelings and skills and that kind of thing. But it has to start with that knowledge of the fundamentals. That Mm -hmm. that work has to be done there. There really is no shortcut. And that's something that I always hear from teachers because they'll come to me and they'll say, I have all these anxieties around teaching. Maybe people are going to get hurt, or I don't feel like I understand the why behind the cue. But when I'm asking them simple questions, like, well, if I reach my arms up to the sky, what shoulder joint action is that? And they say, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. And that is not oftentimes their fault. It's that they just haven't been trained on the fundamentals. But somehow over the years, they've gotten way down the line and they're out there saying all these things, but there's no ability to go backwards and say, here's why I'm sharing this cue because I know that in this pose, these are the joint actions. These are the muscular actions. These are the primary muscles at work. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of, make, I'm kind of like making a case for how important it is, you know, for people listening that are like, oh, I never learned anatomy in my teacher training. Mm -hmm. And that was fill in the blank X number of years ago. And I'm in this place where I'm feeling this way about how my teaching is going and how I am as a teacher. And I don't know what to address. I don't know, you know, should I just go get more hours? Should I just go, you know, (laughs) I'm not saying the answer always is, go back and learn those fundamentals. I'm just, based on what we're talking about, trying to make that link so that if there are listeners out there who are teaching and they're feeling disconnected or they're feeling nervous or they're not feeling really confident, all those things, that could be an area to focus on.
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. And, and you know, I've taught taught people that have been teachers for a long time and they're actually... They're actually, I'll say, more challenging to teach because they've, they've like you said, they've just gone out there and they're really good at what they do because they've been doing a lot of it. And then sometimes they've just filled that space with with things that don't really make sense. And so they have to kind of unlearn some of the things that they've habitually built on. And so the sooner you can get to learning those those basic fundamentals and then speaking to your students from like a clear understanding yeah, you're, you're just going to be more effective yep. and then likely more confident and then likely enjoy teaching more. And, you know, yes. then a cycle of, of loving what you do, which, You know, I'm, I'm all for that for every teacher loving teaching yoga.
0: (laughs) Sure. So, all right. So why don't, as we wrap up here, why don't you tell people how they can find you? I think Instagram's probably, I don't know. You tell us is Instagram or Facebook, like, give us like a social media place. We can find you and tell us about trainings that you offer and how people can find out more and sign up for your trainings.
1: Yeah. My, my Instagram is Trish Corley. One word and I'm pretty active on there. That's actually where Karen and I found each other. And my website is trishcorley.com and Corley is C-O-R-L-E-Y. And right now I do uh, private sessions online and I am in the process of revamping my yoga anatomy school. And so enrollment will be opening in 2023. It will be a a membership-based training program. So it'll be weekly content coming out. You can join live sessions, or uh, if you can't make the live times, the the recordings will be available. So if you go to trishcorley.com and then go to anatomy trainings, you can get on the wait list to um, get information about when enrollment opens up. Um, It will be early 2023. And I'm also on um, Facebook at Trish Rice Corley. Got it. Perfect.
0: Well, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation. I am an anatomy nerd, self-professed. So I (laughs) love talking about things like this and I really just found it just so informative to talk to you and, you know, kind of leverage your expertise in both areas, PT and yoga. And I look forward to having you on again. I would love to have you on again and maybe we could focus on a particular part of the body. You mentioned rotator cough or learn more about your optimal postural alignment. So maybe we'll have to book another time within the next few months and do like a part two.
1: Yeah, I would love that. And thanks so much. It was great getting to to chat with you and learn more about you and uh look forward to continuing to listen to your podcast and connecting again.
0: Cool. So this today's Monday, this will go up a week from today. I always post new episodes on Mondays and, uh, yeah, so this will go up on Monday. I'll record a little intro and then we'll tag all this on at the end and, uh, I'll send you the link and then you can share it with your community. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Trish. I
1: will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you.
0: Hi there. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode. And thank you so much for being part of my community and for spending some time with me here on the show. I wanted to wrap up this episode with just a quick note. I have a brand new recorded workshop workshop page And I'm really excited to offer you an opportunity to watch recorded workshops whenever you want. I have the first installment of a workshop on the page on the website, and it is a short workshop all about how to give effective cues. And so all you need to do to watch this free workshop is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the listing in the dropdown for recorded workshops. When you click that page, you'll see on that page the link to sign up to watch that recorded workshop. I'll be adding more workshops in the future to this page. And it's a way that you can access educational and growth information for teachers without having to make a workshop at a particular time. I love to get together with teachers live, both in person and, of course, online, which is where I'm doing most of my interaction with teachers right now. However, I appreciate that sometimes people can't make a workshop or the time doesn't work for them or they're in a different time zone. So I want you to know that this page can be a resource for you so that as you're out there and you have questions about different things or you have maybe a half an hour or 45 minutes that you want to devote to your continuing education as a teacher, you can just go to my website, pull up this Recorded Workshops page, and there will be resources there for you to take a look at. All of the workshops that I share are all designed at number one, giving you information and number two, giving you the skills that come from getting that information. It doesn't do you any good if I'm just giving you information on anatomy. If I don't show you how you can use it in your teaching to grow as a teacher, to grow your impact, then it's really not very useful. So all my workshops will have that dual focus sharing a little bit, and then showing you how to apply it. So I hope you'll check that out. If you have any questions or feedback, definitely let me know. Just send me an email, karen at Thank you so much for listening to the show. And I look forward to hearing from you. Namaste.